Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Why, uh, why do we want to see God so badly? You know, why are we so interested in seeing God? I mean, why is it that this um, series, The Chosen, has become so popular? Why do we want to get a glimpse of Jesus, a glimpse of who he is and what he has done? What if I told you that you can get a glimpse of the living God? What if I told you that you can actually see God? And more than that, what if I told you that your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends who don't yet even believe that Jesus is God's son, what if I told you that they also can see God, can get a glimpse of who God is and what God is up to in the world today. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's pray and we'll dive into this story. Gracious and living God, we do want to see you. So we pray today that you would reveal yourself yet again, once again, to us that we might see and believe We pray that you would speak to us, that we might hear and be renewed and transformed. We need to see you. We need to hear your voice. So may it be so. May you be the one upon whom our eyes are focused. May you be the voice which our ears are tuned to hear today. Thank you in advance. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Verse 11 in 1 John chapter 4 reads this way. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But what kind of love is that anyway? What kind of love is John talking about here in his first letter? Because love is, let's admit it, pretty overused uh, the term love, anyway, is pretty overused. It's, it's a word that is misunderstood and sometimes even abused. I mean, think about it. I love pizza. I love it when the Seahawks win. Sorry, Bob. I love the mountains, you know. But surely, I love pizza and I love Krista can't mean the same thing. So what is love? What do we mean when we say love? Uh, Better yet, what does the Scripture mean when the Scriptures talk to us about God's love, that God so loved us? What does that mean? What is love? I want to invite you in your minds right now to complete this sentence. Love is what? How would you describe love? What are some words that you would use to Try to define love if you could. Complete that sentence in your minds. Love is... Now, 
I imagine you've got some pretty good ideas. I imagine that a bunch of words and phrases and pictures and ideas have just flowed into your mind. And I bet you have some ideas and words and phrases that are worth sharing. And so for the next three minutes, I want to invite you to turn to a couple people, maybe groups of three, four, something like that, and just share what you came up with. Maybe um, tell the person your name if you don't know them. Um, But just briefly, love is... How did you complete that sentence? You've got three minutes to do this. Ready, set, go. Well, it sounds like you've got some ideas about what love is, about what love looks like, about what love does. So good. I hope that uh, that, that has uh, sparked some thought, uh, some reflection in your minds. Maybe you learned something interesting from your neighbor about their perspective on love. We're going to talk about love today. We're going to talk about God's love, about divine love, about what the scriptures tell us and show us about what love is. How scripture would complete that sentence. Love is what? So love, it's the Greek word agape. And that Greek word agape appears five times in the five verses that Tanya just read. Even better than that, The Greek word agape, or love, appears 30 times in 1 John chapter 4. So in the larger chapter, chapter 4 of John's first letter, 30 times he mentions or uses this word agape, or love. Do you think love might be a theme? Maybe. All throughout John's letter, he addresses you and me as beloved. He calls you and me beloved. Now, in some of our Bible translations, that word beloved has been lost. It's been lost in translation. And so, for example, the NIV, um, I think, has made the unfortunate decision to uh, use the more neutral dear friends. But I think that's unfortunate because what's lost in translation is the word beloved. It's the Greek word agape toi, which means 
you who are loved. Beloved. There it is. One word, agape toy, and we already know where we stand. Who are you? Beloved. You are loved. If you don't remember or hear anything else this morning, I hope that that will stick with you. In a sense, John wouldn't really have to tell us anything else, would he? Beloved. That's it. That's, that's the good news. In fact, you know what? That's amazing. We're done. Beloved. Praise God. Let's worship. <laughs> have you ever received a love letter? Uh, it was addressed to you, and uh, it began with something like, you know, my dearest love, or you whom I cherish and adore. It's like enough has already been said, Right? And I know for a fact that every single one of you have received at least one of those letters in which you are addressed as beloved. Six times, in fact, in this letter, you are addressed as beloved. You who are loved. Beloved. It's the good news of Jesus Christ wrapped up in one word. That's the grace of God in one word. Before you've done anything to merit being loved, before you've done anything to demonstrate your lovability, before you've even taken a breath today, in fact, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, you have already been loved. You are loved. You are being loved. This is grace. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ wrapped up in one simple word, beloved. There it is. I guess we're done. But maybe there's more that could be said because in what sense are we loved? What does this actually mean that we are loved? Is this the I love pizza sort of love? Is this the I want something from you sort of love? Is this teenage crush love? Is this Hollywood love? Is this the kind of love that says, I love you because you complete me? Oh, it's so poetic and yet so selfish. (laughs) Think about it. I love you because you complete me. Why do I love you? Because you do something for me. You're helpful to me. I love you because you are a means to my ends. Sometimes we actually think that this is how Jesus loves us. That he loves me because of what I do for him. That he loves me because I read my Bible every day. That sometimes we think that Jesus loves us because we go to church at least three out of four Sundays a month. Or he loves me because I tithe. I give 10% of my earnings to ministry to the church. Or Jesus loves me because I sin less than I used to. Sometimes we think that Jesus loves us because of what we have done for him. But that's actually not love at all. That's, that's a real selfish kind of love. And if you believe in that truncated version of love, then I hope and pray that today that version of love will be wiped out from your consciousness because it is not love at all. So what is love? What is God's love? And John, in this letter of love, this love letter to you and to me, he He kind of defines what divine love is. He defines what love looks like. And it's a lot different from Hollywood love or teenage love or selfish love or you complete me kind of love. In fact, it's so different from what we would normally think or what we tend to know about what we think love is. It's so different that it actually has to be revealed to us. 
In verse 9, John says, the love of God was revealed among us. And it was necessary that the love of God was revealed among us because we can't dig deep enough within our hearts to discover this kind of love. We can't do enough introspection. We can't try harder or think deeper or be more true to ourselves in order to discover and experience and understand real love. The reality is that unless the curtain is drawn back and love is revealed to us, the reality is we're just in the dark. Sin has so distorted our understanding of love that we just don't know what it is anymore. We must be shown. And thanks be to God, He shows us. God reveals to us what love is. And what He reveals to us here in this Scripture reading that we're looking at today, what He reveals about love is two, at least two characteristics. Now, there's a lot more, I think, that could be said about what God's love is or does or looks like. Just like you maybe struggled to complete that sentence, love is, you know, with like one or two words, it's like there's so much to say. How do you choose a couple words to define that? There's so much that we could say about God's love, but what, what is said about the love of God in these verses are at least two things, and they're the two things that I want to highlight for us this morning. God's love is sent and sacrificial. God's love is sent and sacrificial. And uh, if you want a third S, you could throw in saving. Right? God's love is sent, is sacrificial, and uh, sure, let's get a third S in there as well. It's also salvific. It's also saving. So first up, God's love is sent. Back up a few verses to verse 9, and we read that God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God sent, God sent His only Son. The God of the universe pursued us and came to where we live. God took on human flesh and dwelled among us. On his own initiative, the incarnate God came to us. He came to our neighborhood. He came over to our house. He traveled the distance across the universe to arrive where we are. In this is love, verse 10 says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. The love of God in Christ is a love that pursues us, pursues us. It's a love that is sent. It's a love that goes it literally goes to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the universe, to get you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he sent his only begotten son. And don't you want to be pursued? Sure you do. Everyone wants to be pursued. We all want to be wanted. We all want to be pursued. Good news, the God of the universe is pursuing you and has pursued you and will continue to pursue you. That's what God's love is and what it does. It pursues. It's sent. It's not passive. It's active. It takes the initiative. It goes. The second thing we learn about God's love in this text is that it's a, it's a love that is sacrificial. Verse 10 says, He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. The atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is what Jesus is. Now let me I do what I can to bring the cookies down a shelf or two so that we can better understand what this atoning sacrifice business means. 
Now, if you read the ESV like my friend Dean does, then you get this other word called propitiation. That's a lot more helpful, isn't it? (laughs) What does this word, this phrase, atoning sacrifice, mean? Well, it refers to at least two movements that take place on the cross when Jesus died. I want to focus on the second movement, but first of all, the first movement of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is it dismantles the barrier of sin that we erected between us and God. There once was a barrier of sin that prevented us from connecting with the living God. And at the cross, Jesus, as the atoning sacrifice, he tears that barrier of sin down. He removes it so that you and I can be connected to the living God. That's the first movement Uh, of this atoning sacrifice. The second movement of God's atoning or Jesus' atoning sacrifice is this. Jesus pacifies God's wrath. Okay, now I've got your attention, right? It's this second movement of pacifying God's wrath that is really difficult for us to wrap our minds around and for us to grasp. And so let me try to explain. God is holy and perfect. And a holy and perfect God does not mix with and cannot tolerate sin. Because God is holy and perfect and does not mix with sin, God's wrath is poured out against sin and destroys sin whenever sin is present. You can think of God's wrath and sin like fire and oxygen. Just like oxygen is consumed by a fire, so also sin is consumed by God's wrath. I grew up in Washington State in a rural place where we heated our home exclusively with firewood and a wood-burning stove in the basement. And by the way, if I never have to chop, haul, or cut another piece of firewood for the rest of my life, that would be perfectly fine. Although, thank you for the lessons learned, Mom and Dad. So as a kid tending to the fire in the basement, I learned really quickly that if you want the fire to burn hot, you just open the vents up and let more oxygen in. More oxygen means more flames. More oxygen means more fire. The fire burns up the oxygen plus whatever else you put in the fireplace. God's wrath is like a consuming fire. And just as fire consumes oxygen, so God's wrath consumes sin. This, by the way, is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 1.18. Listen to this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, and it's against all wickedness and ungodliness. In other words, God's wrath burns up, destroys all that is sinful, wicked, and ungodly. Now, this is uncomfortable, admittedly. I mean, come on. This is uncomfortable stuff. But I think it's only uncomfortable at first glance. It's only uncomfortable if we just pay a little bit of attention to this idea. So let's not just glance at God's wrath. Let's take a deep look. Let's take a close look at what's going on here. God's actions must be consistent with his character. And his character is perfect and holy. So... For God to tolerate sin or to overlook sin or to just brush it off as no big deal, that would mean that God would have to act in ways that are contrary and contradictory to his character. 
And God cannot do that because God has integrity. What he does and what he says are consistent with who he is. Think about this. You would not want a justice of the peace to say to a murderer, hey, you know what? I know you were having a rough day. I mean, this is really not that big of a deal anyway. Just like, you know, try not to do it again. You would not want a justice of the peace to say that, to act that way. In the same way, believe me, you would not want the God of the universe to say that or to behave or act that way. God is a God of justice, which means he does not tolerate sin. Now, this creates a problem for you and me because you and I have a problem with sin. Now, I want you to imagine that we're inside a courtroom right now. We're inside a courtroom where God himself sits behind the bench as the judge. In this courtroom, the verdict has been given, and you and I were guilty, guilty of a myriad of crimes, and the punishment for these crimes is the death penalty. Now, listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because this is the heart of the matter. This is what's very important for us to understand. In the courtroom in which you and I have just been found guilty, the justice of the peace, the judge, who we're imagining is God here, he gets up from behind his bench and he walks over to the police officers who are standing at the side of the courtroom. And everyone in the courtroom, including you and I, expect the judge to say, Mr. or Mrs. Police Officer, please handcuff the criminal and take him or her to prison. But that's not what the judge does. The judge walks over to the police officer, extends his wrists, and says, cuff me. Put the cuffs on me. I'll take the punishment. Set the prisoner free. In the cultural context of the first century Roman world, the judge would not talk about handcuffs, but would say something like this. Ah, I'll take the nails. Nail my hands and my feet to the cross. Not his, not hers. I'll take the punishment for the sin. Because God's justice must be done. A perfect and holy God does not mix nor tolerate with sin. And Jesus takes upon himself the punishment that you and I deserved. That's what John means in his letter here when he talks about Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. Why does Jesus do this? Why would he do that? Why did he do that? Why would he go to the cross for you? Because he loves you. Because he wants you. He wants you to live with him. He wants to connect with you. He wants you to be free. And this is the sacrificial nature of God's love. God's love is a love that says, put the nails in my hands. Put the nails in my feet. I'll take God's wrath. I'll take the punishment for the sin. God's love is a love that is sent. It pursues you. God's love is a love that is sacrificial. It lays down his life for you. That's the kind of love that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Now friends, because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, because he has removed the barrier of sin that once existed between us and God, 
because he has taken upon himself the punishment that we deserved, because of that, we are connected to the living God. We are connected to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are given a life with God. This perfect and holy God who cannot mix with and tolerate sin, we can now connect with him because the sin that once was upon us has been removed and wiped away by Jesus as the atoning sacrifice on the cross. We get to connect with the living God. Listen again to verses 13 through 15. By this we know that we abide in God. Love that word abide. By this we know that we live with God. We remain with God. We dwell with God. We get to connect with God. By this we know that we abide in God and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Remember, God's love also saves. That's the third S, but I'm not going into that yet today. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Friends, in other words, the Spirit of the living God dwells within us and connects us with God. Anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ gets connected with the living God. The Spirit of the living God not only connects us to God, but also gives us the capacity to love like God does. The Holy Spirit increases our capacity to love so that we also can be patient and kind and selfless so that we would not be rude or arrogant or boastful but so that we could love the way that god loves love in a way that pursues people love in a way that sacrifices our own interests for the interests of others and this This kind of love is what makes the church beautiful. This is why we are a beautiful community because we are the children of God who have been given the capacity by the Holy Spirit to love the way that God loves, to pursue people, to sacrifice for others. It's a beautiful community that God equips here at the church We're connected with God's heart. We're connected with God's family and we're connected to God's mission. And as we love this way, this is a beautiful and attractive and compelling community. Verse 12 says that no one has ever seen God. If you love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. Yet if we love one another with this sent and sacrificial kind of love, then then God becomes visible. God becomes visible to one another. God becomes visible to you and to me, and by God's grace, he also becomes visible to our neighbors who don't yet believe that God is the real deal. The church, you and I, Every church in Huntington Beach, every church across the country and across the globe that worships the living God in Jesus Christ, we are the visible expression of God's love in the world. We're plan A for God. His plan to reveal his love to the world is you, is us. As a beautiful community of folks who love one another and love the world in a sending and sacrificial kind of way. 
We want to see God. That's why The Chosen has become so popular. We want to see God. We want to see what He is like. And this is wonderful. This is a great thing. I confess I have not seen The Chosen. I think I need to watch it. Keep hearing from a bunch of you. I need to watch The Chosen. Just haven't done it yet. This is wonderful. There's also another way to see God that doesn't require you to stream YouTube. And it's called The Church. And no matter how well produced a TV series may or may not be, there's no comparison to the church when it comes to showing the world what God's love looks like, when it comes to helping the world connect with the living God. No TV series, no matter how well produced, can do that the way that the church of Jesus Christ can do that. You are this beautiful community. You are the beloved community of Jesus Christ who have been called and sent to love in a sacrificial way. You know, I think this ought to be an encouragement to us. It ought to be both an encouragement and also kind of a convicting call to action. First of all, I think we ought to be encouraged because God chooses a motley crew like us. God chooses a community of ordinary people like you and me to do his extraordinary work of showing his love to a world that needs to see him. This is so encouraging. God, that you would use me, a broken and yet restored and healed human. You would use me to do this? Yes, God says, I would use you. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about uh, the idiote Right? Those are uh, the ordinary and uneducated disciples who started with Jesus the greatest movement in the history of humankind. The Bible in Acts chapter 4 calls them ordinary, uneducated guys. The Greek word there is idiote. I love that. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. I'm one of the idiots. <laughs> not dumb. But maybe not the smartest. No, this is funny. I did this once and... Uh, verified that this is actually true i once said hey you know what i am not the brightest tool in the toolbox and a friend said wow you are so right tools are not bright you mean sharpest (laughs) i'm like exactly (laughs) this ought to be an encouragement that god uses people like us to show his love to the world It also ought to be a convicting call to action, to love the way that Jesus loves, to embody this kind of love for one another, to pursue others, to cross cultural barriers in order to love, to cross socioeconomic barriers in order to express this kind of love, to cross generational gaps in order to love this way, to cross the globe like Debbie Elliott did, in order to love in Jesus' name. I hope you'll join her for lunch today after worship, by the way, out on the patio. I understand Mary Strain is making some mean soup or something. Turkey chili, 1130. To love with God's love is to pursue, to pursue with initiative, to go, to be sent. This is a convicting call to action to live sacrificially, as an expression of God's love, to think not of our own interests, but of the interests of others. That's what love is. That's what love looks like. 
And this is the church's mission, to reveal God's love to a world that longs to be connected to something bigger, to reveal God's love to a world that longs to see God even if they don't yet realize it. In the coming month, we're going to be talking a lot about the practical ways in which you and I can go about loving like this. Our next sermon series is going to be all about surprising the world with God's amazing love. Doing things as simple as speaking words of blessing to others, to sharing meals with others, to listening to the stories of others, to learning the perspective that others have. Loving in these very simple and practical ways are some of the ways in which we show and reveal God's love to a world that needs to know. It's how we invite others to connect to this loving God. So friends, my invitation to you, my call to you, my challenge to you comes straight out of the text. Go. Go love. Go love sacrificially. Looking not only to your interests, but to the interests of others. Go. Love like Jesus. Because you have been loved by Jesus since the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your unending, faithful, pursuant, sacrificial love. Thank you that you took the initiative, that you pursued us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. You extended your hands and said, put the cuffs on me. You extended your hands and said, drive the nails through my hands and my feet. Jesus, thank you. We simply ask that by your grace, through the presence of your Spirit, you would increase our capacity to love others the way that you love. Equip us to be the sent people you call us to be. Equip us to be the people who live sacrificially the way in which you have called us to live. We count it a privilege, God, that you would use us to show yourself to the world. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. For you are doing a beautiful work right here, right now. And it's in your name that we pray. God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.